1: Hello and welcome to Raw, The Fight Within, a brand new podcast series hosted by me, Coogan Cassius. Over the course of the series, I'll be sitting down with some of the most high profile figures from the world of boxing, including fighters, trainers, and promoters, in order to dig a little deeper and understand their own personal stories. This podcast is about much more than simply what happens inside the ring, it's about the journey, the sacrifices, the agony, the ecstasy. The highs, the lows, the tears and the fears. It's about getting to know the person. Thank you for tuning in and I really hope you enjoy it. If you do, be sure to like, comment and subscribe. This podcast is suitable for over 18s only as it may contain adult content and explicit language. Hello and welcome to Raw The Fight Within with me, Coogan Cassius. Delighted this week on Boxing Day to be joined by the one and only Gypsy King, Mr Tyson Fury. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on the show. That's very formal. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, I
2: thought it was a very formal podcast. So I thought it's not a, really a formal my podcast. My best behaved,
1: okay, no Tyson problem.
2: Fury, after Christmas.
1: Now, I've been interviewing you for nearly 12 years. We've spoken about uh, your life in general, etc. But the majority of the interviews I do with you are around fights and... Fighters, and I'm always asking these things, so I wanted to make things a little bit different between okay. me and you. So it's going to start uh, quite easy into this podcast, and we'll see how we go. Very simple, first of all. What was your first actual ever memory of boxing?
2: Well, it's a good question. Um, we touched on this last night, me and a few other guys. My first ever memory of boxing, like massive memory, I think, was... Lennox Lewis versus Hassim Rachman, the first one. We waited up all night to watch it, and whack, got chinned out in a few rounds to me. And that was my first real massive boxing memory.
1: Is that what you remember as, like, not just your first fight watching, but when you yeah. actually took notice of what was going on?
2: Yeah, yeah, I suppose at 11. Obviously, I've been watching boxing way before that, but not really ever interested in it. Until that moment.
1: Do you remember the first fight you ever went to? First fight?
2: Hmm. I went to a lot of amateur boxing shows when I was a kid. And small old shows and stuff. But I suppose... First massive fight I went to... Probably Ricky Costa too. That's as big as it gets. And it was in Manchester and it was for the for all the belts against the legendary champion and i believe there was about three or four other world champions in there that night um yeah me crawler terry flanagan all from manchester and all went on to win the world title well we're all inspired by the hitman weren't we all of us
1: It's funny you mentioned costa zooker's was in Abu Dhabi recently and he was there and I interviewed him and he was talking about obviously his two sons are now fighting. Ricky's boys also fighting. So is that just we're all getting old?
2: We are getting old, aren't we? And they're even older. They were the generation before me. Uh, Costa's two sons, look he looks lively, doesn't he? He's, he's up there for the world title next, doesn't he?
1: He's fighting Charlo.
2: Charlo for the world title. He's a good kid. But Charlo's also very good. So it'll be a tough fight for him.
1: What was the first fight? I think I'll know the answer to this, but what was the first fighter that actually made you start watching boxing in the first place? What was it about him and who was that?
2: So I watched a vast array, that's a fancy word, isn't it, of boxing throughout my whole childhood. And the ones that stuck out to me were the showmen. The flashy ones, the arrogant ones, the cocky ones, the likes of Prince Nassim Hamid. Sugar Ray Leonard's, Muhammad Ali's that type of outspoken, controversial Mike Tyson, those type of fighters and I always thought to myself like I don't want to be your average nice bloke I want to be like these guys, the showman the outspoken, controversial, charismatic I want to be all of that and they were the ones that I were attracted to
1: as a kid Was there one specifically, I'm going to say Mike Tyson but.
2: Uh, Mike Tyson was very attractive for me as a kid very attractive they all was but like I say, I was I was always very very focused on uh, the outspoken ones even more so to do with the, the the show than the actual event the fight so I was very 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 I kept a close eye on those type of uh, outspoken fighters because obviously it's entertainment they're the ones that you want to watch because what are they going to do what are they going to say are they going to hit somebody that sort of thing
1: which kind of, yeah, is apparent in your career of how you've kind of led that as well. Yeah,
2: I think I was very controversial and outspoken and charismatic in my first career. And then the second career, I've left all, I've gone from, I've took that mask off now, and I'm just being myself. So, yeah.
1: This is an interesting one for you, and I don't even know if you could answer it, because your life has been boxing, but you ever think about if you weren't in the industry of boxing, what you would be doing?
2: Yeah, I often thought about it, I only thought about it like two weeks ago, I even said to Paris like, can you imagine what our life would be like without me being heavyweight champion of the world, or if I'd I'd stop boxing after about ten fights or whatever I often think about it but, I believe that anybody can do whatever they want in their lives and I would have achieved whatever I wanted because I have that mindset. It's not just that I'm a good fighter that separates me from the rest of the pack. It's the actual mindset to achieve something. And when you set out to do something, you finish it and do it. And that's the mindset that I have and I've adopted. So whatever I would have done, I would have been good at it. Whether I was sweeping up the roads or I was a car salesman or whatever, a roofer, builder whatever, I'd have been good at it, I'd have been successful and I'd have earned a good few quid out of it because I'd have put my mind to it and give 100%. So
1: yeah. But you, you in your head can't pinpoint a, a trader or a professional or something that you would have done if you hadn't got into boxing. Well, I was
2: always selling cars my whole life. I'd been buying and selling cars from 10-year-old, so I'd have been a car trader for sure, 100%. But most of all, I'd have been happy. And I'd have met my wife, and we've had our lovely kids, and everything would have been cushy. I wouldn't be World Heavyweight Champion, and I wouldn't be as wealthy. However, that's not the be-all and end-all of everything. Love will trump all of that every single time.
1: So regardless of what you were doing in your life, you think certain aspects of your life, obviously your wife and your children, and your happiness would have still been there?
2: Yeah, yeah. Maybe would have been a bit happier, to be honest. Because... When you've lived in the the fast lane all your life and you've been up there and you've done all the Vegas nights and you've done all the big venues around the world and 94,000 at Wembley and and 60,000 at Tottenham and whatever else, it's difficult to come down to reality from there. Um, So without touching them dizzy heights, and they will have had a better balance in life. It wouldn't have been Mandalay Bay to Morecambe Bay, would it? Um the drastic changes and jumps wouldn't have been as big. So I probably may have been a little bit happier. And if I'd have sold the car and made two grand, I'd have been like, yes! Valued it more, you know what I mean? Where sort of now, I'm not going to say I take anything for granted because I've worked so hard for everything I've got. Like double hard. i had to take a lot of punches, put a lot of hours in. But I think, I don't know. I really can't, say if i would have appreciated it more or not but i would have done what i wanted to do and i've been happy probably happier because i on i don't know if, what percentage it would be maybe one or two percent in the world that set off as a child to do something achieve an unreachable dream and then achieve it i don't mean as a full set man 30 year old and then wanting to do something and achieving it i mean like from a child to have a dream, an unreachable dream, not just like I want to be a lawyer or I want to be a a gardener. I want to be an unreachable target, heavyweight champion of the world. Seven billion people, two heavyweight champions. And to get there, you've got to be one or two percent of the population who set out to do something as a kid and then do it and have that mindset and attitude carried on throughout the next 30 years.
1: Yeah, because when you first ever said that as a child, which I'm sure at some point you did say yeah. that, that, that's what you want to be, it would have been a thing where basically someone saying that they wanted to be...
2: An astronaut. An
1: astronaut or... Fireman. I mean, play for England or whatever. That, yeah. It's in that mould, isn't it, when you first say it?
2: For sure. And, and as a kid, I always encourage kids, like people I know my own kids, shoot for the stars... I always ask them, get around the table, take them out for dinner and say, right, what do you want to be when you get older? A lot of them are very sensible little kids like Prince's age all like 10s, 11s, nines. And they'll say, I want to be a builder. and I don't want to build my own house. And the other one might say, right, I want to sell carpets. I want to be a car trader. So they were all very sensible, achievable things. I said, come on boys. I said, Is this what you really want to do? You want to do this, you want to do that? Well one of them said, Well, no, I want to be a professional footballer early. He said, But if, if I'm talking sensible, I want to be a sales I want to sell stuff or whatever he wants to do. I said, Why can't you be a football player and play for England or Manchester United? I said, Well, I was a kid like you. I said, and I've achieved it. So why can't you? And he said, Yeah, I can, can't I? I was like, you can
1: follow that dream. But there's a difference between you saying that and someone like you, like Prince, for example, following that because that's your you're his dad, so for someone else, how do they follow that same potential of someone not in your position telling their kids that they can do that? It's not saying it's easy for you to say that, but because you are where you are and you've yeah. done what you've done, your kids obviously can look at that as direct inspiration. But what about for other people?
2: For other people, it's the same. Because no matter who you, I was a nobody before, before boxing. Man. I was just a normal person. Just a random kid going to a boxing gym who had the dream and a desire and a destination to achieve it. I think it's very important to have a target in your life. If you don't have a target, you can never hit it. Even if it's an unreachable one, you get close to it or hit it, you're great. But without a target, you're pissing in the wind. You never hit anything, dear, if you haven't got a target? It's true. No matter how unreachable it is, without an end destination, you drive around in circles forever. I've often got in a car... Without a destination, I thought, I'll just go somewhere, get out of the house, drive around, three or four miles, come back home, nowhere to go. But if I would have had the destination of 600 miles, Paris, then I could have drove there, no problem. But without that destination, it's difficult. So any kids who may watch us, or parents want to encourage the kids into something, encourage them to to do unreachable things. Because it's very easy to be mediocre. Anybody can settle for a job that they think is acceptable for them. But it's difficult to strive to be the best at something and dedicate and push and believe no matter how many people say you can't do it. Do you think it's been easy for me over the years to get to this position from from nothing?
1: Absolutely not.
2: And how many people would you say along the way have told me that I couldn't do it and that I'm wasting my time and that I should get a proper job? And because leaving school for an education and not having anything to go into is a crazy idea. And even my dad told me, everybody told me, forget about boxing. It's a mug's game. And it's very hard to earn, earn a living in it. And you waste your life and you never get anywhere and you put 20, 30 years in. A lot of people, and it was very evident to see as well. Like, if you look at a thousand boxers... You can, a handful of them might have made something that they can retire on or go into something else. The rest of them just get by. So,
1: that's the majority of boxers, isn't
2: it? For sure. But that's the majority of anybody. Mm. Just because you're a lawyer don't mean you're going to be some big-time millionaire or whatever. Or whatever you are. You've got to work very, very difficult and ignore everybody else around you who tells you you can't do something. Because I promise you now, there'll be a lot of people, negative people, even the closest people to you, will say, forget about it, it's not worth it. But it is worth it. Because if you get to 30 or 40, and you've tried and tried your guts out to do something, and you don't make it, well, that's not a failure. That's a success. The failure is the man who never had the nutsack to try it and live his dreams, and he's got to 40... And he's doing a job that he hates. He's with a woman he can't stand. And he thinks, if I could just go back 20 years and I would try that one thing that I always wanted to do, but now I'm too old and my youth has evaded me. What would you give to go back in time to try and live out your dream? And I made this decision really young because I met a lot of boxers in my life and sports people who said, if a, would have should have could have If I would have trained properly, I could have been a champ. I would have been a champ if. I should have been a champ if. And I never wanted to be that. I want to sit at the end of my career and say, I did what I could to be the best I could be. And I haven't always lived the most regimental lifestyle. I haven't always dedicated my life to this game. Practically, I didn't take this game serious until I got to 29 years old. Never had nutritionists, strength conditioning people, never had any machines, nothing. I'd be eating a bag in a shed with water coming in. My Uncle Huey would be giving me a pork pie. And a, a packet of crisps to make me feel good. I get a Mars bar into you. You'll feel alright after that. Blooding up and down in weight. Out with the boys drinking beers. Train for 10 weeks. Do a fight. Not train in between. But I suppose, what like me and with a lot of pro athletes, we all realise when it's too late. We all realise by the time we get to 30 that, you know what? I actually really like this game. And if I I look after myself, I can continue it for a bit longer. And we all spend our youth wasted. And then when we get to 30, we spend the next 10 years trying to be healthy again. And trying to be sensible. And that's where I am with it all now. I just wish that I would have took things... I couldn't have done any better anyway. That's a fact. Even if I would have lived like a monk. And lived in a training camp forever. Didn't have a family... Only focused was boxing. I really couldn't do any more than what I've done. There would be no possibility that I could have done anything better and I will not be as big. I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't have this character. I wouldn't be one of the boys. I will not be someone you see in a local boozer having a pint and then you see me three weeks later on a TV knocking someone out. That wouldn't be me. So I'm actually happy that I took the road that I, I had taken and I, I've arrived at this destination where I am and We are at the end of an era, and it was quite sad for me to fight Derek Chisora a few weeks ago, um, because we both turned pro in 2008, and there's nobody else left from that era. No, no, I don't believe. Maybe I'm a little bit mistaken, but I don't believe there's anybody left from that era. The 2008 class of 2008. Can you think of anybody you you know? No, time. we
1: had this conversation a couple of days ago. Me and you, and I think as active fighters, I, th- I can't name anyone who's in kind of even the top 20. I mean, there are still some fighters that will be fighting. We spoke about Kevin Johnson, and I'm not even sure if Danny Williams is still fighting, but these guys uh, were active at that time as well. But as yeah, I'm not about that, though. No, no, but apart not about from that. I'm
2: actually still in the top, top, yeah, yeah. top 10, top five. I can't think. No. I don't think there is anybody, is there? You know, there was a lot of talent back in 2008. That class of 2008 Olympic team, that GB squad and everybody else as well, it wasn't on it. There was a lot of talent. And to see that they've all gone and drifted by the wayside or retired or injured or whatever the problem is, it is a sad. It's sad to be the last one standing. After all these years, the fattest one. The one that everyone said would be less likely to win a world title or do any good. And I'm the only one still standing after all this time. Lone soldier. Which is mad. Very mad. And I'm the one who's had the crazy lifestyle. The drug abuse, the alcohol abuse, the weight ballooning. Up and down like a yo-yo in weight. Mental health struggle. Depression, suicide attempts. (sighs) Mad, Mad to think that I'm the last one out of all of them. I have a full generation
0: no purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
1: When you were growing up, do you remember the first time that you got into any kind of... Wh- the first fight you ever had? Yep, I do.
2: I don't remember the first fight. I oh, don't
1: mean in a boxing sense. Probably. No, no, no. Yeah.
2: I remember, like, we were always fighting. When you got lots of, like, male relatives and stuff, all similar age, you're always fighting. Always. Um... But I remember having a fight with my next-door neighbour. The two bigger brothers set it, set it up. And he said to me, oh, do you want to fight the lad next door? I said, "Yeah, whatever, if you want.
1: For it was about what? ten.
2: For nine I was. What, what reason? N- for no reason. Okay. Just like set it up for a bit of fun for the older brothers. And we, we, uh, we went round and we had a little dust-up on the front lawn. For no apparent reason. My trousers kept falling down. I had a pair of Donald Duck track seat buttons on with no string in them and they kept falling down every time I was trying to throw punches. The pants kept falling down. Um, so yeah, that was the first proper fight I ever had.
1: And it was for no reason?
2: It wasn't for any reason, no. It was just for sport.
1: Do you remember their names? i not asking for names. Um, tell me about a time which I know you're going to have a few of these times but... The most specific time that you felt like you were fighting a losing battle?
2: A losing battle? What, within boxing or within life?
1: Within life.
2: Well, that question is like asking Mr. Kipling, can you name me um, a cake mix? I feel like that most days. Even now? Even now, I felt like that last night when I was telling you in the changing rooms. That's how I feel. So I'm on a constant battle of losing battle, can't be bothered. What's the point? Daily. Mood swings up and down all the time. One minute I'll be happy singing a song, the next minute I'll feel like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? What am I here for? So I'm, I'm on a constant battle, roller coaster, up and down all the time. And I've got to try and keep it it off with a long, stiff jab. And sometimes I find it really difficult, and sometimes I can box the taste right off it, like my opponents in the ring. So, yeah, very, very difficult. The the, the mental struggle that I continue to go through, day in, day out, year in, year out, is, is harsh. And it will make the toughest, baddest men on the planet, it'll bring them to the knees and make them cry, like little girls.
1: Do you think you live with that now?
2: Yeah. I do live with it. Forever? Forever. But as long as I train and try and eat a bit sensible, give myself short-term goals and and the routine life, then I can be okay. But what scares me is, what happens if I have a bad injury or I'm too old and I can't run, but I'm still only like 65? Like, I made a deal with me pal Bob the other day that we're going to run up Jubilee Towers 4.6 miles uphill when we're 60 there's no excuses, my dad's nearly 60 and he trains and runs every day so we're built out of the same kind of stuff so I'm sure I will be training well into my 60s my grandfather who died at say 74 or 5 he jogged on the day he died he ran every day and trained every day of his life and he even ran on the day of his death so there's no excuses
1: what, what are those everyday battles for you when you get up in the morning? I'm not on about boxing, I'm on about you today, currently. What are those everyday battles for you? When you wake up in the morning to when you go to bed at night. What do you mean,
2: everyday What battles? What are your
1: everyday battles? What, what do you have to encounter in your, in your brain or as just away from boxing? I don't mean like if you're training for a fight yeah, or anything. Yeah, yeah. like, just mean in life, what are yeah. they for you? Do you well, what have, do
2: I do in my life? Or no, what, what are about? your
1: everyday battles, as in mentally? or? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's all mental. I don't have any physical battles, none. The physicality side of life is pretty easy. I know what I've got to do. I've got to get up in the morning nice and early, take the kids to school, go to the gym for an hour, come back, have a shower, have some breakfast, pay some bills, do a few jobs, go to the tip, sort a few things out, feed water the dog, whatever I've got to do like that, come back, pick the kids up, drop them off, gym, home, shower, bed, repeat. So that's basically my life. Um, odd show here and there odd interview, whatever, that's it but the, the, like I say, I'm up and down all the time and the only thing that can control up and down is, is the training because when I'm in the gym I'm zoned in on what I'm doing I'm focused solely on training for that hour or whatever I'm in that gym for then I'm there to do that and I don't think about anything else but while I'm not busy I'm thinking about shit and I'm up and down, like I say, constantly up and down all the time, thinking, what's the point? And then two minutes later, I think, "Yep, yeah, I'm happy. Like, my bipolar is ridiculous. Like, one minute I'll be looking at helicopters and stuff and Ferraris. The next minute I'm like, oh, this is, this is crap. I can't be bothered living. Just what am I doing it all for? Why am I here? What's my purpose? You know, it's, it is It is hard. And and that's why I come back again. I don't care if I've got 50 pence or 50 million. I don't really care. So why did I come back? I'm not coming back for a few quid. Because it doesn't make any difference to me. At all. And I've achieved everything I ever wanted to do. But why am I back? Because it makes me happy. It makes me feel fulfilled and whole again. It makes my heart whole. And when you took it, when I retired, I was one piece, which is sad, very sad. And that's why Danny Williams is still going for about 10 errors, because he will feel broken when he's away from boxing. So
1: there we are. When was the last time you were having to fight back your tears? Tears? Yeah. Last night on stage. Yeah?
2: Yep. Every time I delve into my past, dark past, and think about it, I have to roll back tears. Every time I have a read of a book that I've written, I have to roll back tears. Or sometimes they come out.
1: Would you call yourself an emotional person?
2: Very. Soft as shit. I can cry like that, bang. Show any emotion, I'm in tears. I cried over Marley and me, the dog, Ben Stiller and the dog, the Labrador that died. I was in tears. I cry over the notebook. I cry over every, all of these little girly movies. I'm a crier. I ain't this big, tough, hard man who's like, no emotion, ah, big, bald head weightlifter. Like, what I may appear like it, look at you. Boom, boom, baldy. But I am a crier. I will cry in two seconds. Not a problem. I'm soft-hearted.
1: Who sees that apart of, outside of your family environment? Nobody. Nobody.
2: I'm a proper little crier. All of them like movies where someone dies, Time Traveler's Wife, P.S. I Love You, all stuff like that, all them little lubby-dubby movies, I'm crying
1: the whole time through the movie. Where does that obviously your family's embroiled into the fight game, uh, but I mean not from a fighting perspective. But where does your fight spirit come from? Your fight spirit, not your family's. Yours. Where does that come from? Where
2: does it come from?
1: Yeah,
2: it's a thing that every individual ever ever got or they haven't got. It's um, it's been something that I've been reared up doing, boxing and fighting. So I think my fight spirit comes from a belief within my own ability, never to say die, never quit. And that's where it comes from.
1: Is that something you will instill into your children?
2: So here's the thing. There's a saying that strong men make easy times. And easy times make weak men. And weak men make hard times. So it's a conveyor belt. It only takes three generations to go back from being... Very well, if you, my grandfather, Yui, they was they was living in severely hard times, yeah. And through them, hard times created tough men like me dad and his brothers. Because through adversity and harsh, harsh times and harsh environments, tough men are created, and then those tough men. We'll have a generation of working the bollocks off to get to the next level. And then they're, they're them tough men's kids, they'll be instilled to be tough and be hard and push and dedicate and sacrifice. And then the tough men's kids can go on to the next level like I've done. And I've worked the bollocks off from being a young, young lad to being what I am now. And I, I have now created very easy times. For my kids. Do you know what I mean? I've created easy times for my kids. So I don't want to say it, but those easy times will make soft men of my children. Right. And then them soft children will take my hard work and my father's hard work and my grandfather's hard times, and they will create hard times for their kids again, and it comes a full circle. So their kids and their kids will be even harder and harder and then just keep going round again. And it might take a millennia to get back to where we are today, but eventually the clock will go round again and reach the top. And that's how it works.
1: Are you talking about your family specifically or in life? In life, yeah.
2: in life. I can't remember who, which person said that quote, but I think it's an amazing, amazing quote to be found. I think it's bang on true. If you look at the men from World War I, men and women and military personnel and everybody who fought for our freedom today from World War I, World War II, all those things, them people created easy times. And they were fucking tough wars. World War I with all them gas bombs in the trenches and stuff. On the Eastern, western front and all that. Millions of men and women died to make easy times. And again in World War II. Millions and millions and millions of people fought for what they believed in. Fought for what their country said. And died so that we could have easy times. And you look at today what the people have worked their bollocks off for and died for. They've created easy fucking times. And you go out there on that street today and you swear and someone's like, oh my God,
1: I'm offended.
2: You're offended because good men and women died so that they could make easy times. So that we could live in a time where everything's fucking accessible. No rations. You want whatever you want, you just go and buy it out of a shop. You can be anything you want, you can do anything you want, you can go anywhere you want. No travel nothing. Very easy times. But I'll tell you what's going to happen. The easy times of today, tough times are coming. The winter's coming. Like in Game of Thrones, the dark nights are coming. That's what's coming. Tough times are coming. Because we've had a generation now of easy times. We've had all the World War I, World War II, and then you had the recovery from it all. And then you had the 60s and 70s, the three-day working week and all that. Then it built up, got better again, better in the 90s and early 2000s. Then we had a credit crunch, 2008 onwards. Then it come back again, got peaked back up again. Now it's coming down again. So here we are, get ready for a few harsh times. But it's true. It's not just in my life or a life of fighter. It's for everybody. Because tough people create easy times and weak people create tough times. And that's how it works and that's how it's always worked.
1: I'm not talking about um, mental health for, for a second, but yeah. what, what causes in the world do you believe in? What, what would you feel strongly about that happens in the world? Anything specifically? Because you talk like about, well, oh, just in, like I said, a lot of people talk about depression, mental health, because they either know someone who's gone through it and we know or that gone for about you. Yeah. Or gone through it themselves. But are there anything else that you strongly believe in? What, like in policies? Life? Yeah, anything.
2: I believe in the freedom of speech. Yeah. And we're living in a culture today where that's getting more rarer. Because you could say something. You could be cancelled for doing an interview, as an interviewer. You could say one thing on, on the video, and then you're cancelled. All your sponsors are gone, whatever. It's all gone to fuck, Correct. basically. I could say something, and as a boxer, get cancelled off TV or whatever. So we're living in a can- cancellation world at the moment. So stand up for free freedom of speech, equality. Human rights. Bare minimum human rights. As humans, we should all be entitled to bare minimum, like essentials. Do you know what I mean? Like water, clean water, roof over your head, underarm spray, soap, a Diet Coke. bit of heating. bit of heating. Do you know what I mean? Shoes on your feet. But I'm talking that to, is, to us where we live in, in the part of the world, that is bare minimum. But to someone in a third world country, that's a privilege. I listened to something recently and it says if, you, if, you, if you've got feet, shoes on your feet, and a roof above your head and food in your stomach, you're a top two percenter in the world.
1: I've read that somewhere as well. Yeah, so
2: it's, it is crazy to think, isn't it? And how much we take for granted when we're always walking around with full stomachs and, and dry and fit shoes on our feet. I'm not freezing cold or outside in the rain. So we, we do take a lot for granted in the Western world, for sure. But I'm just happy that I'm born here and not somewhere
1: else. I go back to that time where he was in, in LA and you see that guy in the street with no shoes on and you went and bought him a pair of shoes.
2: No, I never bought him a pair of shoes. You gave
1: him your own shoes? I took the shoes
2: off my own feet yeah, right.
1: Sorry, yeah, sorry, i rephrased rephrase that. It
2: was an old, old homeless man in the street, stinking he was. And everybody was like, Ooh, "We're moving out the way of him." And I was in the Starbucks in Hollywood, and I saw this old guy coming, no shoes on his feet, stinking, pushing a trolley, whatever he was doing. And he walked past me, and I thought, "Look at this! Look at this poor man! He ain't got shoes on his feet." And something told me, as he walked hundred yards down the path, I heard a voice say to me, "Tyson, go and give that man your shoes." Really, and these shoes that I had, they were Air Max 97s, you know, the ones that go yeah, around yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Were they 97s then?
1: Not, uh, 95s or 97s? Anyway, uh, they're on. like the bubble
2: all around them yes. with the, the circles, yeah? yeah. And they were camouflaged green and black with pink, and I could never get them again ever. I give like $500 for them out for like a boutique shop in America, and, and they were the only size in the shop, size 14. And I was like, give me shoes away. Why would I have to be wearing these ones today? So I ran after him down the street. I said, oi, oi, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he turned around and he thought like he'd done something. He's like, whoa, I haven't, I haven't, I, I, sorry, sir, I haven't done anything. I said, no, no, no. I said, I want to give you me shoes, bang. Took me shoes off and he was like, what? And everyone around me, all these like privileged people were like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I give him the shoes. And I walk back barefoot. Only like under 200 yards. And everyone looked at me like I was a weirdo. But I got a feeling of like, fulfilment. This is great. And that man walked away with a pair of $500 shoes on. Probably sold them for a can of pop later. But whatever. That was up to him.
1: So yeah. People didn't know about that story for quite some time after that. I don't... Because uh, the story never came from you. I know it didn't. Uh, but... People didn't, yeah, that story didn't come out for, like, a, a few weeks after that. Um, but, yeah, I remember I was in LA at the time.
2: I think, I think you've got to have a few concerns in life. Like, not concerns as in, no, we're concerned about something, but an ideology, a, an agenda. See, I don't have any political agenda, none you know what I mean? I don't have a political agenda. I'm not, I'm not really a political person. I just get on with my own life and that's it. Um, but yeah, I don't really... My only agenda is training, keeping fit. This is my, my ideology and, keep, and my, um, my thing, agenda, is fitness, life and health style fitness. I'm trying to be as good as you can be. And we're not all perfect. We're not all do gooders, but we can try and be the best versions of ourselves. I try and pray, pray a lot for forgiveness. Not that I do a lot of terrible things, but still, I'm a sinner and I need to repent. And I try and talk about God, and I pray, and I try and read a verse of the Bible every day. And I, I taught my kids how to pray. And if I don't achieve anything else, that's a great thing to do as a parent But what I've done for me kids. I've taught them how to pray to God. And even my little two-year-olds will say, let's say our prayers, Dad, mm-hmm. every night. And we all sit there in bed together, and we all say our prayers and give thanks for everything that we've achieved and everything that we have in life. And I ain't talking about cars or clothes or anything like that. I'm talking about our health, our safety, roof over our head.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Are you still fighting demons? What, as in? You've had demons. You've spoken about them all the way through your life. Are you still fighting them today?
2: No, not social so-called demons. Every time I go AWOL in my life, they will come and haunt me. Sounds crazy, I know. But every time I'm on the straight and narrow and I'm walking on that righteous path and doing the best I can in my life, I'm trying to be a good person, then they, they stay away from me because I'm covered in the lamb's blood and they know not to fuck with me. That's probably bad to say because I've used that word with that. But...
1: Are oh, we get it?
2: Yeah, you know, I bump into the devil every day. But he don't understand I don't walk this road alone. Life's a precious, precious gift. The body that we have, this borrowed life, the borrowed body, the borrowed shell, everything. And we're not promised tomorrow. One day, go out for a beer, not come home. Just like my cousin recently. Went out to watch a Joshua fight for your beers, bang. Kitchen knife in his throat, stone dead. 30-year-old. Did he know that was going to happen? No. Walk across the road, get flattened by a bus. So it's very short. And I always used to hear me granny talking about stuff and the older people talking about how youth is wasted on the young and, and how short life is. And when you're a kid, 10-year-old, 15, 18, 20, you think, these years go take forever to go. The six-weeks holidays took forever. But in reality... When you're like my age, now 34, and as you get older, my dad says it goes quicker. Well, it only feels like it was Christmas a month ago to me. It's gone from Christmas to Christmas to Christmas like a flash. And I don't feel like... I feel like it's two minutes and the year's gone. I mean, six months. In a minute, we'll be in March or something. So I really, really do take advantage of... Living in the moment, living in this time zone. I always used to be obsessed with with time travelling and stuff. I'd go back to time, I'd go forward in time. But I'm very contented now with living in today's time. Because in 100 years, people will say, I wonder what it was like in 2022. In the 2000s, wow. I'd go back to that era. But I live in that era. This is my era. We actually live here today. So take advantage of the, the short time that we have. I've getting to an age where everyone around me is dying the Spock older people are last known, night, the uncles, relatives cousins it's for the first decade of our lives where we know people who are dying and it's only going to get quicker and quicker now so take advantage of the time you have and not also just the time there's having time and there's having quality time and life is good But there's a quality of life as well. Do you know what I mean? So take advantage of while everything's good and good in your life and there's no problems and everyone's all right, that's a fantastic time to live. Because your life can be turned upside down with one phone call. I had a phone call the other day while I was in training camp for Chisora. Right, we didn't want to tell you, but we think you should know. My mother's had multiple strokes. She's been in hospital for 10 days and... She's having a massive operation. There's a, a, f- a five to one chance that she could die. So do you want to come and see her before she goes in? I'm a week away from me, fight. One week. So I'm like, what? Why haven't you fucking told me? Rushes down to the hospital, speaks to the doctor. She's got a blood clot in her throat. and She's had multiple strokes. She's lost the use of her arms and legs on one side. And we've got to do an emergency operation. Remove her blood clot, put a stint in. Blood pressure's through the roof. Cholesterol's through the roof. Problems. Heart rate's through the roof. Don't have the operation. Brown bread. Do have it. Chance that you could die anyway. So, and that's the phone call that I'm talking about. You're only one phone call away from a disaster. So... I'm thankful that she came through. She had the operation and she's all good. And now she's on the recovery, back at home. And it's been a wake-up call for her. 60-year-old. She needs to be, one, do more health checks and stuff. And two, look after herself a bit more if she wants to get another 10-year out. And that's it, you know. Life can change very quickly. And everything can go to fuck quite quick as well. God forgive me for swearing. But, like... One of your family members, one of your friends, anything. You could get diagnosed with a disease, fall over, snap your neck, whatever. There's so many things. Life is like snakes and ladders. Take three steps forward and fall back. Up that ladder, great, down the next snake. And that's what it's about. But I believe it's about overcoming problems. If life was all fantastic and everybody was super rich and they had everything they wanted, no one had to overcome any struggle then it will not it won't be as, as precious and as nice. But if you can overcome struggle in your life and overcome it and get to somewhere else, that's success. Success is not measured on what you've achieved, how much money you've got, how famous you are. In my opinion, success is overcoming struggle. That's success.
1: Sorry, your, your mother is all right now, yeah? Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, she's on the recovery.
1: What a horrendous call to have.
2: Yeah, in fight week. And the papers picked it up. Tyson Fury's rushed to his mother's side in hospital. Yada, yada, yada. So, tough. It's There's always something going on in these camps. It's always something. Whether it's injuries, problems at home, childbirths, problems, mothers, fathers, brothers, cousins nothing ever runs 100% smoothly there's always a problem always if you can get through a camp injury free and no problems at home or whatever especially if you've got a large family there's always something so yeah
1: you you fight for your family you fight for your community your country etc who fights for you who's in your corner from a, a non boxing perspective yeah i have
2: got the most powerful Greatest thing, spirit being human body that the world has ever known, the greatest force that's ever lived, more more powerful than fifty-five atomic bombs, more powerful than fifty nuclear warheads. God G-O-D. Backing me. Every single day I get up out of bed in the morning, I've got a big man on my side. For if God is with me then who can be against me? Nobody. There ain't an army powerful off for of this world has ever seen combined that can stand against me with faith. That's all I need. I don't need anything else. Just me and the big man upstairs walking the path every single day. The path of righteousness. The path of eternal life. And everybody's invited. All they have to do is believe. That's it. Sounds nice, doesn't it?
1: I've asked this question to quite a few people on this and you're the first person that's said that as in reference to God is the person that's behind me. Yeah,
2: the, per- the person that pushes me, motivates me, gives me power, gives me strength. God, I give it all the glory to God because I'm just a human man like David, like Joshua. So many Great, mighty men of the past were all powered by God. And I'm no different.
1: Nearly there, Tyson. Tyson... <clears throat> I bet everyone's going to think I'm a Bible thumper now, aren't they? A Bible basher. You've spoken about God many a time. I know,
2: I know I have. But I love to keep speaking about God because probably the only thing worth doing in life, to be honest. Following... following and believing in God. The rest of it is very unimportant, because when you die, what you did on the planet don't really matter. But being judged around that big table by the big man upstairs for your actions, that's the terrifying thing.
1: Tyson, you've, you've spoken so openly over the years about your depression. Mm-hmm. Um, do you still think there's a case today of... There isn't enough men, specifically men and women, but men, we're talking... Yeah, um, it's
2: men, biggest suicides more than anybody cor- with
1: mental health. that's why I made reference to men, yeah. It's Still the biggest killer men. of
2: men under 40, bigger than cancer, bigger than drunk driving, bigger than anything, bigger than COVID, bigger than anything. Men under 40 is the biggest, the biggest killer is suicide, mental health. So do we do enough? Well, I never shut up about it. And there's a lot of people like me, high-performance sports people and famous people who start talking about it and stuff. I think it's at its highest ever moment it's ever been in, ever, than it is
1: now. Which is still not enough.
2: Which is still not enough because there's a lot of people taking their lives. Talking, communication is the answer. I'm working with a charity called Talk Club, Men's Talk Club. Yeah. And it's a charity where... There's people on the phone and they can speak to people and tell them the problems and everything they want to do. And it's only one phone call away. So help is out there. All you need to do is ask. But sometimes asking is the hardest thing. And it's like, say 10 years ago, it wasn't as accessible as it is today. There wasn't like mental health at work stuff and it wasn't identified as as an illness, as a problem. It's just like, oh, well, this person's... God, I think it was a bit of an embarrassing subject.
1: A bit down. Get on with it.
2: Yeah, but now it's it's forefront runner of this mental health days, awareness days, months, years, whatever. So it's it's very it's very out there now. But I think the more we talk about it, the more lives will be saved. And there's a lot of people out there struggling in silence, and they need not to do that. Because even if you don't want to speak to a doctor or a professional, speak to someone you know. Speak to your pal, your wife, your girlfriend, your girlfriend's dog, anybody. Communication, speaking about something, is the answer to everything. Whether it's mental health, relationship issues, buying something, a business deal, whatever it is you're doing in your life, then communication is the key and the answer to everything, no matter what.
1: Why is there still a perception of it showing weakness in men, to talk about this?
2: I, I, for me, like, I, I'm obviously world heavyweight champion, 6'9", 20 stone, and I talk about it all the time. I just admitted on camera that I cry over a dog movie, um, and I'm as soft as ice cream. So I don't think it's an embarrassing thing. I don't think it's a weak thing. I just think it's a necessary thing to talk about, for sure. Because I've made rash decisions in my life when I'm mentally ill, and they're always the wrong ones. And what you feel like today, when you're mentally unwell, you won't feel like in a week's time, or a month's time, or six months' time. So to take your life today because you're in a low place, I guarantee you, you take 100 suicide victims, yeah, and you take them three months down the line, I guarantee you 95% of them wouldn't have committed suicide. There was a survey done on surviving suicide attempts. And the people who jumped and survived or whatever, whatever they did, straight after they jumped, they wished they didn't do it. They changed their mind. When it was too late. So, just because you're down and in a a bad place today, what a difference a day can make. There's a song, what a difference a day makes. 24 little hours. And it does. I could go to bed tonight totally, totally down. Wake up tomorrow, fresh day, sun's risen, happy. That's what it is. Never make any rush harsh decisions. Always give it time.
1: The last one. Answer this as you see fit in whatever way you see fit. That that fight within you, what drives that? What is the driving factor of that?
2: That fight within me, Coogan, is dead the driver that i had is now retired and the reasons that i was driving so hard in the beginning are not an, not an issue anymore the factors what made me world heavyweight champion and successful the goals the wants the needs are no longer there
1: what replaces that
2: nothing I tell you what replaces it familiarity we're doing the same thing for years and years and years it's like being living with a woman that you're not really in love with but you're together because it's convenient that's how I am with boxing it makes me happy at times But I don't really have a driving force. That force of. Star Wars. I don't have anymore. I'm not hungry for anything. Doesn't mean I can't grind. Doesn't mean I don't dedicate and sacrifice more than I ever did. Because I do. And I don't agree with all that. Or if you're successful and you've made money. That you can't can't be a great boxer. I don't agree with that at all. Because. It's a lot easier for me to get up at five in the morning and go for a run than it is for a man who's got to go to work at 6am. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's easier if you're at the top to maintain than it is to get there from nothing. But the driving factors that I had, I want to be a world champion. I want to beat Klitschko. I want to regain the championships. I want to prove everybody that I wasn't a one-eight wonder. I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to be this champion, I want to do that champion, I want to earn this money, I want to buy this car, I want to buy that house, I want my kids to be alright, I want to do this, I want to do that, I don't have any wants. I've been saying this for a long time now, All it would take to beat me is a young fresh man who is hungry, who's got fuck all, that's what it would take. A man who's fighting for survival like I was back in the day. And I wasn't fighting for survival like someone from a third world country because I've never, ever, ever been in that position. But I was fighting for gratification. I was fighting for approval. I was fighting to be a somebody, to be counted, to walk in a room and say, you know what, respect that man because... One, he sacrificed his full life to a sport. Two, the man's overcome every adversary he's ever had. And three, he's come back from the brink of death. So there's three reasons why when I walk in a room, people will applaud, people will approach me and say, congratulations, well done, for the right reasons. That's what I wanted. But now I have all that and more. It's, I don't have any driving factors. So if I come up against a man who's got those factors, then it's going to be a tough night. Then I'll have to bring out the animal in me to overcome the opponent. But as for I want to be a 10-time belt holder, I said to Klitschko all those years ago in Germany in the press conference, he said, you want my belts, don't you? You want what I have? I said, no, I don't. I couldn't give a fuck about any of that. I just want to punch your face in me he didn't understand it, but I hope he can understand it today. That none of that was ever, 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 ever what I wanted. I just wanted to beat that man. And then when I beat him, Everest was over. It was done. My lifetime achievement goals were finished for beating him. Not, not because I won four or five belts at the same time, because that wasn't important to me. It was always about beating Klitschko. I was obsessed with the man for years. Oh, obsessed. Obsession is a crazy thing to have with something. And I was obsessed with a six foot five handsome rogue, ripped in muscle, and could fight like thunder. And I was obsessed with beating him. I just wanted to beat him.
1: And no one gave you a chance.
2: And no one gave me a chance. And when I beat him, that was it. And he had all my problems and struggle. And then I wanted to prove again I had a real purpose. To prove that anything is possible, no matter where you come from, no matter how low you are. To get back to the top, and I wanted to spread the word of mental health. And I wanted to all these things I was trying to push weight loss, diet, mental health, comebacks, never say never. And I did it, and I did it again and again and again and again. And they're the reasons that drove me. But now I'm 34, I'm undefeated in 34 fights, 14 years as a pro, a couple of retirement stints, three years out the ring, four months retirement. And I sit here today and I am fulfilled, very fulfilled and very happy with who I am, where I am and what I've done. More than sport can ever mean, more than a belt, a plastic belt in a cupboard, more than knocking a man out. What I've done is I've reached people in a dark, lonely place and been a shining light so they could see and come out of the darkness and come back into the light. And that means more to me than all the money and belts combined because I have saved lives. And other than doctors and stuff, there ain't many people who can actually sit here and say you've saved thousands of lives around the world, if not millions. And I've done that. And that makes me a very happy person. But as for sports and stuff, I'm just treading water. I'm doing it because I can. And because I'm here. And I'll do it until I can't do it anymore. And that's it. We never know what tomorrow will hold. That's the fact. Like I said, I change my mind every two minutes. I make rash decisions all the time. And I'm not perfect. Well, none of us are. So I might wake up tomorrow and say, you know what? Thank you very much. It's been a blast. See you all on the other side. And then six months later, I'm making a comeback. Because I am like that. I am unpredictable. I am everything it says on a box of francs on the back of it. That's what I am. So there we are.
1: I don't want you to comment on this, but I asked you about three or four months ago, I asked you a question in an interview. I said, would you be satisfied if you finished your career and you hadn't fought Joshua or Ouse? And you said yes. And when I was listening to you talk about the Klitschko story, I got it. Yeah. I got it. I don't. The rest to... of them,
2: they had their little nappies on when I was a little kid fighting thinking about Klitschko. They wasn't even, they wasn't even thought of. Well, Usyk! when did he turn pro in Joshua? 2012, 13,
1: was it? Olympics in 2012. So yes, yeah, so way
2: after that, wasn't it? Like Joshua. a year later or something, yeah. By the time they were still boxing for an amateur cup, I was top five in the world. I was fighting world title eliminators against Steve Cunningham in Madison Square Garden. And they were up and around the ring with a vest on. So there, there was never, ever, ever in my thought process. And even when Joshua came to the forefront, when I, I had my time out the, the ring, Usyk was never in it. Where's he come from? All of a sudden, you've got this, this Ukrainian lad who's come from the weight below, moved up and beat Joshua, and all of a sudden took his acclaim to whatever he built and achieved... He's now lost it to Usek. Now, Usek's like a challenger, a worthy challenger. But five years ago, there was nobody's. It wasn't even thought of. So times change, things change, goalposts move. But at the end of, end of the day, my goals have always been my goals. And my only real goal in boxing was to defeat the long reigning super champion in Vladimir Klitschko, the second longest reigning champion in the history of our sport. And it is two interesting facts. I have beaten one of the longest reigning champions in history and also the biggest puncher in boxing history. I've defeated two of them. Not bad, isn't it, for a man who can't fight and fat as fuck? I've done a lot. I've achieved a lot in my um, short career, 34-fight career. Two trilogies. Two World Heavyweight title trilogies. There's only been me and Muhammad Ali who done that. He had a trilogy against Joe Frazier and a trilogy against Ken Norton. That's it, nobody else has done it. And I've had a trilogy against Deontay Wilder and a trilogy against Eric Chisora. It'd be mad to do a a third trilogy, wouldn't it? There's only one other person that I could do a third trilogy with. This man's not even active anymore. John McDermott.
1: Oh, McDermott? Yeah,
2: McDermott's the other only person
1: that I fought twice. I can't believe I didn't think of that. John McDermott, yeah. There's
2: been... <laughs> we were on about in a car recently, yeah? Me and Brendan. There's been a couple of massive rivalries that I built up for years in this country and they didn't happen. Joshua's not my first crush. He's not my first love. David Hay. David Hay. That was built up for years, weren't we? had a massive rival. We massive hated each fight, other, yeah.
1: yeah. And David Price. And David Price. They were the ones that got away. Price was the first one because...
2: Price has always been my first love, yeah. Yeah. Massive, massive rivalry. Beat me as an amateur. And then we had this massive rivalry all the way into the pros. He was British champion, I was British champion. And we was going to fight each other. I think it was about 2013... There was an offer on the table. Back then it was massive. It's not that big today. But back on the day, in the day, it was like groundbreaking. We were offered one million pounds each to fight. Um, I think Frank Maloney may have put that deal together, I'm not sure. But it was a million quid each on the table to fight both two undefeated British heavyweights from England, northwest of England, Liverpool, Manchester. A great rivalry. And I had to fight, first I had to fight Steve Cunningham and then he had to fight Tony Thompson. Yeah. I nearly got done off Cunningham and he did get done off Thompson. Yeah. Twice. And that finished the rivalry, just like, a bit like similar to Joshua. Me and David were simmering real good, weren't we? Mm. Real good simmering, come to a boil as well. One fight away from that massive, massive showdown. Big, big, big British rivalry. And he got beat off Thompson. Then had a rematch and got beat. Then it was done, wasn't it? There was no more rivalry. And then I think after that he fought one of my common opponents, Christian Hammer. Yeah. And got knocked out of Hammer as well, and it was totally <laughs> dead in the water. And that's what's happened with Big Big Joshua. Was we supposed to fight over in Saudi back in 2020, I think it was. Was it 2021? 20 21. 21. And Wilder won that arbitration court case and he had to fight his mandatory. So I had to fight Wilder, nearly got done, twice down in the fourth, fourth round. He had to fight his mandatory. Pulev. Was it Pulev?
1: Yeah, Pulev was his mandatory,
2: yeah. He, no, he just got beat by, he just got through Pulev then.
1: Oh, after, after sorry. that, sorry. Usyk. Usyk, uh, and then Usyk and Usyk again, wasn't it? Lost
2: and lost yeah. and now, now it's like, Done. And if he fights Deontay Wilder, it would be the common opponent like Christian Amos to David Price. So, yeah. And there we are. But I wonder if it would still sell out a stadium if me and big old David Price had a fight, even though he's retired, Old Trafford or Anfield. I think we sell it out for the WBC World Heavyweight title. Or even if the WBC wouldn't sanction it, we could do it for the, the North West title of Great Britain. For the Northern Warriors. (coughs) Sorry. Think it'd sell out? Me and Price? The rivalry was that big for so
1: long. It was massive because it was when we first started as well.
2: And he was the only British person to ever beat me. Amateur or pro. I think it'd sell out. And I also think that a fight with the toe-breaker would still sell a stadium out.
1: Well, it wasn't that long ago that he did that exhibition against Joe Thorny and then called you out yeah. on TV. Yeah, exactly. That so wasn't you, that long ago. Do you think me
2: and him would still sell out?
1: Uh, yeah. It's called here, honey. it? Uh, I'd say so. That was one of the, the biggest travesties in British boxing that we never got to see that fight. And he
2: pulled out twice, didn't he? The little shithouse. Pulled out twice. Once with an eye injury and once with a shoulder operation. I'm not sure how he looks at himself in the mirror in the morning. But still, it, there's still three big rivalry fights in this country, is not there, for me? Even though there ain't back to or whatever, David Price, David Hay, Anthony Joshua. Three. So if you're out there, and I know you're still out there, and I know you're still in the gym, there's three mega... British fights that would get the imagination of the United Kingdom flowing. The juices will be flowing like a chicken roast on a rotisserie. Or if
1: John McDermott still fancies it.
2: Or Big John. But I'm not sure that's as big as Price, Hey, Joshua. But I still think three of them fights will sell out of stadium. Not a problem. Bang, bang, bang. And I really do mean that. It's all about the what if, isn't it? What would have happened
1: if... There you go, that's our signal. That is our signal, to be fair. I
2: think that will do two million views.
1: Do you? Are you talking about this? This interview. It's still rolling at the minute. Well, councilman. Um, Tyson Fury, thank you very much for talking no problem. to... problem. Raw the Fight Wound podcast. This has been me, Coogan Cassius. Make sure you comment, like, and subscribe. Appreciate your time, Tyson. Merry Christmas.
2: Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. You filthy animal. And we'll see what happens in 2023. Absolutely.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.